Well, at some point this past week, the word brokenness found its way into my soul. Now, it lodged there, and it stayed. I'm not sure why. Sometimes these words find their way into my to my past and my present experiences. Other times it kind of appears you of what I may soon be experiencing as if God's giving me a heads up. Or more often, it's what my soul is feeling or knows, and I just haven't paid enough attention for my soul to see it and hear it. And it's at that point that my soul starts to get louder and louder, and it tries to get my attention. And I don't know if your soul does that, but my soul tries to get my attention. And it usually does that through restlessness. It does that through agitation. It does that through my almost inability to stay still. I just keep moving, I just keep moving, I just keep moving. When I finally slow down and I begin to pay attention to my soul and what is buried begins to surface, and what is hidden begins to come out of hiding, and what needs to be noticed finally gets noticed. It's like it's saying, here I am, talk to me. And in this case, the word brokenness came to the surface. And I began to sit with it. And maybe it's an occupational hazard. Pastors, we see a lot, we hear a lot, we, we see a lot of pain, we hear stories of pain, we see a lot of human wreckage, we hear stories of human wreckage, we, we sit with folks, we listen as they share what they would probably not share with anyone else, and that's good and right and proper. But in other words, brokenness is part of the landscape. It's part of this pastoral territory that we sometimes navigate, that we sometimes traverse. I did a little bit of a reality check on my last couple of weeks and realized, well, I did spend a few weeks in Bowie City where I, uh, a few days, I should say, where I attended the French board meetings. And although we spent most of our time in meetings, I found myself thinking about the folks who lived there in that city, reflecting on how hard life seemed to be for them. And how they had to take an extra effort just to make life work, all amidst the gang violence, violence, the poverty, and this constant shortage of necessary resources. And I don't know if you've ever traveled abroad somewhere like that, and you come home, there's almost a feeling of guilt. There's almost a feeling of being overwhelmed with all that you have and all that you do, and realize that all you have to do is go here and go here and go here. You've got this. For them, it's just so much harder and so much more effort. I came home and journeyed with all of you as we said goodbye to two wonderful people, Ralph Moran and Alwyn McClure. And we shared in the, in the grief of their families as well as tending to our own grief. But even with the end of funerals, there's other folks who continue to fight their battles and deal with their struggles, mostly physical, but sometimes emotional and sometimes a little bit of both because one affects the other. But always woven in and through these larger moments are the experiences of folks seeking to put life back together. To make life work, to simply try to get ahead of what feels like a continual avalanche of issues just about ready to overwhelm them. But this is what we do as a body of Christ, as a faith community. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, I'm just saying this is what happens, this is what we do. As Paul says, when one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. If you sit with that for a while, you would be amazed at how profound the connectivity is with the human condition. If we are a gathered meeting enough, what you find is you feel each other's pain. And you celebrate with each other when things go well. And then finally, I know sometimes I hold the weight 
of what often feels like a very anxious, polarized, divided human community. Not that I feel like I need to carry the weight of the whole world. I don't need that. But rather seeking to discern the best way to see the truth of power and offer a helpful word of what often feels like a very confused, fearful, divided, polarized, disconnected world. Now, I'm no sociologist. I haven't done any studies, but I will say this. Having spent 30 years plus in pastoral ministry, and I will say that, having spent 30 years of pastoral ministry, we're living in a very different time. We're living in a very different age. And it's a time of transition, and it remains, I believe, to be seen what direction we as a people will go, whether or not we will choose well. But in the meantime, folks feel disoriented, they're weary, and essentially are isolating themselves from each other. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but we have our own personal silos that we get in, and we literally hunker down, and we stay. That's why I think when we come into moments like this, we're just so overwhelmed with the feeling of being connected to other humans. It is more than we can take sometimes because it is so missing in our world. Pastors, we wrestle, but how to speak a good word, a clarifying word, an encouraging word into all of that disorientation. And it's, 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 it's tough. And I'm not looking for sympathy here. I'm just saying it's tough. You know why? Because there are no easy answers in life. And you don't want to give, give, give answers. But you want to speak that encouraging word into a place where people feel like that they're not alone and someone hears their pain. And then this past week, the horrific shooting of two mosques in Christ Church, New Zealand, which 50 folks were wounded and 50 were killed purely out of hate and evil. There's no two ways around it, purely out of hate and evil. And we may try to distance ourselves from these massacres partly because we don't want to have a day ruined. And probably because we're exhausted by the weight of it all. But I will say this, ignoring it doesn't make it go away. And in fact, ignoring it, it ends up doing something to our souls, or maybe I should say something to my soul, which in the end is never very, very good. My only other option is to simply numb out. And when I numb out, then I feel no pain. I feel no pain. I feel nothing. So knowing that, I fully engaged all my feelings, all my emotions, even frustration and anger. And literally by the end of the week, I felt like the prophet Jeremiah when he said, quote, no healing, only grief. My heart is broken. But maybe this is exactly where we need to be. In that place where my heart is broken. Because it's only from that place that we'll be open to receive what God has to offer what our souls most need, and what our world most needs. And as one person put it, brokenness is the inbreaking place for the love of God. I love that image. Brokenness is the inbreaking place for the love of God. And our lives and our world need heavy infusions of the love of God. Our souls need heavy infusions of the love of God. We need our hearts broken because we've done such a good job at times of protecting our hearts with thick layers of denial and self-sufficiency and isolation and Arrogance and rationalization, blame, self-rejection, and even business, and even religious activity. All of this creates a hard coating around our heart so nothing and no one can get in. Now brokenness, it's the gift we would never ask for, but really it's the gift we cannot live without. It's a gift because it's through our brokenness we come face to face with the mercy and grace and love of God. Not a, Sentimental love that says simply it's going to be all right, which it very well may be. 
but it's this grace and love that penetrates to our most wounded places and seeks to bring the healing and wholeness we most need. And this is important and necessary because our broken world needs healed people who have been made whole in order to bring wholeness to the world. That's kind of a clunky statement. Let me say it again. Our broken world needs people who are whole and on the way to healing, to bring healing and wholeness to a world that's broken. If all I bring to this world is my hunger and brokenness, then I do more damage than good. So what I need to do is to bring someone who is in the process of being made whole, in the process of being healed, and that takes brokenness on my part. In their book, and Dina just pointed it out, um, the quote, Healing Our Broken Hearts, authors Grace Sun Kim and Graham Hill write, and I'm going to read it, We live in a broken world. This brokenness not only hurts us, it also hurts those around us. We chase after things that we feel, we, we chase after things that we shouldn't, that even when we reach them, it leaves us feeling unfulfilled. We treat people, including those who love us, in ways that we're ashamed of. We desire and long for the wrong things. And then they go on to add this. There's a lot of joy and happiness in the world among friends and neighbors, but there's a lot of brokenness among us, in our relationships, in our families, in our business, politics, churches, and institutions. And sometimes this brokenness comes through no fault of our own. At other times, it's a direct consequences of choices we've made, values we've embraced, and behaviors we've adopted. We must repent of these things before healing and reconciliation can occur, and we're all broken in our own way. We've all sinned and made mistakes. But the good news is that there's hope for a new and full life through the path of repentance and change. There's that phrase. We live in a broken world, and we are all broken in our own way. You know, the more I avoid my brokenness, the more damage I do to myself. And the more I distance myself from the brokenness in our world, and the more the world languishes in hopelessness. This is why I think David, in Psalm 51, verse 14, writes, Deliver me from violence, O God, God of my salvation, so that my tongue can sing of your righteousness. Now this psalm was attributed to David after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan over the affair of Bathsheba and the murdering of her husband. And in his brokenness, I believe, David is literally asking God to deliver him from his own violent tendencies and to bring wholeness to his life so he can help make things right in the world. So his tongue can speak of God's righteousness and making things right. In other words, God doesn't need perfect, got-it-all-together people. God only needs broken people willing to be made whole by God's grace and mercy so we can move back into our world with an experience of what it means to be made whole. And David knew what it meant to be healed. Now he can share that with others. He knew what it meant to be restored, and now he can share that with others. And earlier in the psalm, he wrote, Return the joy of your salvation to me, and sustain me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach wrongdoers your ways, and sinners will come back to you. So this is David's way of basically saying this. Look, bring wholeness back to my life, God, so I can in turn bring life and wholeness to to this broken world. Now I gotta tell you, it feels very vulnerable to enter into our own brokenness and to welcome. Very vulnerable. It feels very vulnerable to enter into our brokenness and embrace it, but we are able to do that because this is what God does for us. And this is the verse I want us to catch, where David writes, a broken spirit is my sacrifice, God. You will not despise a heart, God, that is broken and crushed. I think that's key. Because I know 
I meet and talk with people who kick themselves for messing up, blame themselves for making mistakes, beat themselves up for their failures, and ultimately we find ways to despise and reject our own selves, our past, and who we feel we ultimately are. But the good news is this, our broken spirits, our brokenness is the very thing God invites and welcomes. And in David's words, God does not despise our brokenness, so we do not have to despise ourselves. That's a very heavy word, by the way, despise. It means to show contempt. And if I could say one of the number one challenges, challenges, woundedness, that's a better way to put it, of interactions I have with people is this contempt they have for themselves because of who they think they have been or what they have done. And when I read this, what I read is God does not despise our brokenness. So we don't have to do God welcomes the brokenness of our life, and that enables us to welcome and embrace our own brokenness. And when we welcome and embrace it, we cease our religious performance and worrying about having it all together, and we open ourselves to this inbreaking love of God. To welcome and embrace our brokenness is to welcome and embrace all the places we have tried to hide, the places we feel embarrassed about, the places we have been wounded, all the places we have done damage to ourselves, and to welcome these places and to open us up to God's healing. And then I think as we welcome this, we find that we welcome the brokenness of the world. And this shows up as a deepened compassion, offering empathy and presence, standing with those who are hurting in need, simply speaking to power in a way that is redemptive. Now I say that really clearly, speaking truth to power in a way that is redemptive, because I know this for a fact, yelling will not change the world, loving will change the world. Shouting louder will not change the world. Loving people into wholeness and grace and in their brokenness will change the world. And we do more than welcome the brokenness of the world. We feel what the world feels. We literally feel its pain and we discover we're much more connected than we ever realized. And this is the way to go because it really is the way of Jesus. Now I'm going to go a little bit of a sacrament route here. I was playing with this last night. And I think I'm, as a Quaker, I'm kind of on shaky ground here, so we'll see where this goes. And when often when someone takes opportunity, they hear the priest or pastor say these words as they take a loaf of bread, and it's broken in half. They often hear this, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And the act of outward communion, the follower of Jesus is reminded that Jesus' body was broken for you and I. And for the world. And it's the way of Jesus to live as broken people made whole by God for a broken world. In our time of communion, this inward communion that we just had as Quakers, we don't come forward and receive the bread, but we commune inwardly with the living Christ as the living bread. And we're reminded that the Jesus who comes to us daily is the one whose body was broken for you and I so that we may live. And not only was his body broken for us, but it was then again raised to new life and new hope and given new life and new energy. And it was in that brokenness that Jesus experienced resurrection and life, but it was out of that brokenness that Jesus said to the world, I love you. It was out of that brokenness that Jesus said to the world, I will come down to your level. It was out of that world, out of that brokenness that Jesus said to the world, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's out of that brokenness that Jesus says all that to the world. It's out of our brokenness in partnership with Jesus that we do the same. And in this inward communion, we open our hearts to the renewed joy, the energy of a willing spirit, and the possibility of wholeness for our woundedness. 
And when we go back into daily life, and we will, we don't go back with fancy techniques with slip slogans or memorize religious self-pictures. We simply go back into daily life as people who have embraced their brokenness. As people who are ready to love and to wholeness a world that is broken, and they may not even know it yet. What I do know is this. When they find out, and when they realize it, they will need others to love them back into wholeness. Brokenness is our condition. Brokenness is the condition of our world. But brokenness is also the gift that opens us up to the love of God in ways we may have never known. Okay, Excuse me while I take this off. Something you may not know. This pot, I guess, so I can better turn it. It's broken right down here. And I don't know how I broke it. I probably broke it. There's a good chance I did. So you lift it right off. See, it's broken. Let's put it right back here. Now, I don't want you to fix this. I want you to leave it this way. I've known it's been this way for a long time. In fact, when we move things around, I'll say to people using the leader, don't grab that, I'll grab that. It's broken. The reason I want to leave this here is because of me and my own fix-it kind of OCD mentality. Needs to remember this. It's okay for things to be broken and to be here in this meeting room. It's okay for things to not be perfect and completely right for things to be in this meeting room. It's okay for you to be wounded and to be here in this place. In fact, that's kind of what we're inviting and welcoming in. So every time I get up here on Sunday morning, I look for that vase, I try to figure out which one it is, because we will get moved every now and then. But I look at that and realize this is a place for broken people. So don't fix this, please. It's my one icon as a Quaker that I need. The one icon as a Quaker. Final quote from the Louis This is from an author, or actually director of one of the World Vision Groups, Jimmy McIntosh, and he writes this. The healing of our wounded world rests not in the grasp of the strong, but in the gentle hands of those who are authentic, who are humble, and who are broken. In other words, I hope that means myself and all of us together.